Hey everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Behind the Stigma. I'm Ciara Minova, your host, and today's discussion, which I'm super excited to speak about, will be on misophonia. Let's get started. So our guest speaker today is Adil Ahmed, host of the Misophonia podcast and a fellow misophone. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with Misophonia podcast, I highly recommend you to check it out. And for those of you who don't know what Misophonia is, hopefully you will by the end of this episode. Adil, welcome. And thank you so much to being here on the BTS podcast. Yeah, no, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. To be honest, for me, this is kind of a different level of excitement, I got to say, because I've never really talked openly about misophonia. I mean, it's tough to understand, but it's even tougher to live with. And not a lot of people actually that I know, except very close friends and family know that I also have misophonia. So before we get into kind of your experiences with it, um, why don't we start off by maybe you can define what misophonia is? And then what do you think? Is it the same as being sound sensitive? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's funny, I on my podcast, I, I was thinking, I don't even define it because I just jump into conversations. <laughs> so I'm kind of out of practice of actually, uh, you know, what's the best definition. But it's, um, yeah, so misophonia is, is a sensitivity, an oversensitivity to certain specific mm-hmm. sounds and what it induces. Um, so uh, those sounds, and I'm, I might just mention some of the triggers, so a trigger warning mm-hmm. for folks who are listening, but they tend to be related to the mouth, nose, throat (laughs) area. Now, that's not to say that they're the only ones. So I have, you know, plenty of people have come on and um, said other things, like even um, uh, the sound of their dad uh, clasping his hands together and and rubbing them really quickly. Um, But I would say, you know, the non-scientific number of like at least 90% of triggers are related to, uh, yeah, the the face, <laughs> the face and throat. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, anyway, so what happens, um, it, with the, the, the sensation that you get is this fight or flight reaction, uh, where mm-hmm. it's not just an annoyance, it's an intense, uh, really irrational rage, which, um, you know, when you're not going through the experience, you, we all rationally, even misophones, we realize that it's ridiculous. Um, uh, but somehow our, um, our brains and or psyche are wired to really uh, react, uh, hone in on that sound, and our brains kind of shut down. We can't concentrate. Uh, we feel like we either need to lash out or get out of the room. Mm-hmm. Now, um, fortunately, uh, there haven't been, at least I haven't really found many uh, um you know, cases of people really lashing out and doing some of the crazy things that we all think <laughs> of, think about in our minds. But, um, but, but that, that's what happens. And, um, and yeah, we, you know, that's, so that's the definition and folks who are listening, like if you're listening to this definition, um, you, it's, it tends to be the, it tends to be that, you know, if you have it, if you listen to the definition, it, the light yeah. bulb goes on and you're like, yeah, that's me for other folks. It ends up being more like, yeah, I, I'm, you know, maybe kind of annoyed to some sounds or that sounds crazy, but for folks who right. have it, it's almost always like light bulb goes off and um then especially that rage right mm-hmm. you mentioned rage it's like that internal rage that you can't explain uh which i think really distinguishes the difference between people who say yeah the sound of sl- soup slurping bothers me but it's like 
I literally, I don't want to punch you in it's the face. Like, Sorry, for right? Being. No, but it, but it's like it, you feel like you're in, da- in danger, or or a, a big controlling part of your mind yeah. thinks that you're in, in danger at that moment, and um, the causes of that are still under research, and there are many um, theories. But uh, you, it's it's almost um, that uh, a primal instinct that you are about to mm-hmm. be. Your life is in danger. Um, Part of you realizes that that's irrational, but it's it's overtaken in that moment by the part that thinks you're in danger, and that you need to react. Right. It's um, I think it's the amygdala that's been highly related to people who have misophonia, which, like you said, is actually a part that is really responsible for our fear responses and triggers of fear. So when you feel that you're in danger, it's actually related to the primal part of our brain, which is the amygdala, and then it fires that danger slash fear response in us right that's quite interesting right so it's, it's it's almost like your body is actually trying it's not actually it's it's funny it's not like it's trying to um attack the other person it's your, your body's actually trying <laughs> to protect you that's the interesting yeah. part of it it's 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 your body's reacting out of self-preservation oh that, that's fin- i never thought of it that mm. way which it's actually so true it's it's not about the other person it's more about <laughs> protecting you right and and there's been uh, a lot of discussion uh and as by the way i have to say i have talked to you know obviously hundreds of people that have misphonia but i'm not a researcher i'm not a therapist um i'm taking in this information as kind of learn as i learn about it and apparently i would say you're more valid (laughs) well there's there's still uh yeah there's there's still i mean there's still people um there's stuff that apparently is i don't know relatively commonplace or has been known about but i'm I'm just kind of learning about it uh related to that self-preservation um there's been talk about, uh, um, or, or there is a lot of research going into, um, or therapies, go, especially going into the idea that it's um, really kind of a trauma response related to maybe some right. things that happened um, as you were growing up, not necessarily the traditional, like, uh, I, I don't want to like relate right. to traumas, but the intense traumas of certain things that, you know, you hear about in the news maybe, but it could be even things like, um, um, you know, a, a, an alcoholic father, the fear of anger, the right. fear of uh, the wa- walking on eggshells can kind of um, uh, create a trauma response that your body is trying to, your body remembers those uh, incidents. Mm. Uh, uh, what, I, what I've read about is that your your memories aren't always uh, embedded in your brain. They're sometimes embedded in your body and your body in the future tr- is trying to, tr- right. trying to protect you because it pattern matches maybe... Um, uh, f- somehow the sound that maybe was related to your dad or, or somebody that, right. you know, maybe um, caused you stress uh, over and over. And that memory is coming back and your body is trying to protect you. Um, so that's, that's, I don't know, it's yeah. been an interesting thing that I've been reading about. There's, you know, books like um, The Body Keeps the Score, which are not about misophonia. Um, right. But, Love it, but when I read it, I'm like, is this about misophonia? Because it's <laughs> like this is kind of what I talk to my therapist friends about, and more and more about this this trauma response. Now, whether it's the whole story, I don't know, but it, mm-hmm. that really resonated with me. Yeah, I, I was actually speaking to someone on an episode earlier about trauma, and exactly like you said, there are things called like in psychology that they call big T's and little T's. Yes, so exactly. Big traumas, like the ones you say, and then there, but there's also these little traumas, those traumas that we've carried with us or are carrying with us from our childhood, right. which can have these like small triggers that you said, but no, it, it is all very interesting. And it's also interesting how as time goes, we start realizing that so much goes back to our childhood. And in a lot of your episodes, 
and actually for me as well, after listening to one of your episodes, I realized that's for me as well. The triggers are always someone you know. The the triggers start off with like family members or oh right? yeah. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, again, like at least ninety percent uh, of the of the time, it it always yeah. ends up being. And now that people come on there, it's almost like they're like, yeah, you know, it's. I'm another one, one of those, you know, it started with the mom or the dad, like it's, it's become almost uh, copy and paste, but um, not always. I want to say there, there is a, there is a curve, but, uh, but yeah, a lot mm-hmm. of the time. And, you know, partly it's because maybe, um, oh, well, you're, you're kind of in that environment. You're stuck in that house growing up mm-hmm. for, you know, so uh, obviously if something's going to happen, it's going to happen there. And then it's going to attach to, uh, you know, the, the people True. around you. Um, and, but then as what what happens is that and maybe this is part of the the body rem- body attaching its self-preservation instincts to certain sounds yeah. it starts to um expand to you know later on the workplace maybe the school and then mm-hmm. life in general and then your body's just always in a state of intense um uh, well state of stress yeah. or ready to act do you remember your first trigger or like when you thought Wow. Okay, this noise is really bothering me. Yeah, I mean, if for for me, I, I don't remember any one, but it mine's a very typical thing where it started with the parents at home around you know the the I guess I probably I definitely know early teens, but probably a little bit earlier on as well. I'm sure, but yeah, same same kind of sounds: the throat clearing, the breathing, the coughing. Um, <laughs> uh, just noticing any anything that seemed out of the ordinary to like what I thought was normal, you know, yeah. it tends to be, and then that just, um, and then honestly, uh, I don't remember it necessarily me uh, affecting me at school too much. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because I wasn't as around, yeah, any one mm. person uh, as often. I think I think it probably did, but I, I don't remember any case at school, and that's not uncommon. Yeah. I've heard a lot of people where. They're somehow managed, uh, not not for everybody. There are definitely cases where it's school's a disaster, but for a lot of people, it, yeah. um, it there's kind of like a uh, a period through it's school like a blockage almost. where it uh, where it's not yeah, where it's not as big of a deal. But then it reared its head, yeah. like um, uh, you know, a few years out of school and being in the world, um, just kind of noticing it, noticing it everywhere. Yeah, actually, that's so interesting that you said that because. I don't remember any incidents with me as well during school times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would remember when I would go to my summer house and there would be certain family members yeah. that would eat yeah. very dramatically at a dinner table. <laughs> and that's when you, you would remember it again. But like you said, it's, it, it would come and go. It's um, yeah, it's that, that's quite interesting. So how did you come up with, or how did you come to this idea of starting the Misophonia podcast? I feel like I'm very curious to know that because I think it's so brave that you you actually took the initiative to do that because I'm usually very quite dismissive about it towards myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm sure it took a lot of courage for you to say, yeah, you know what? People should know about this. But also the fact that you were, you know, you were mindful of the fact that maybe a lot of other people go 
go through this. Yeah. So for, for, for there's many factors to that. One thing is that just like uh, anything that sounds absurd and that other people think are absurd, <laughs> but I think are important. I, I'm almost, it's almost like a punk reaction to like, I'm just going to shove it in everyone's <laughs> face. Um, so that's part okay. of it. Um, you know, maybe the, the, I don't know, maybe the humorous or, or irreverent part of it. Uh, yeah. Irreverence is a big thing for me. So I'm like, yeah, if, if other people think this is ridiculous, but it's actually affecting a lot of people deeply, um, I'm going to mm. th- throw it out there. Now, how did I know that it was affecting people deeply? Obviously, I knew that it was affecting me. Like I'd been kind of on peripherally. Mm-hmm. Um, I read an article back in 2007. I think it was like um, an article. I know it was an art- a Canadian article on uh, online somewhere. Um, and then I started to like, obviously, you know, Google um, and find discussion groups and whatnot. But I kind of like... Um, left well i kind of like it kind of dropped off my radar uh, a little bit mm-hmm. uh, in terms of like the community but then uh i live in minnesota and then in 2018 the convention that they annually have um was here and i was like okay i gotta go to this. Oh, <laughs> and so uh oh, wow. and so i and i remember recognize the names because it's a misfunny association and i had remember the last time i'd really paid attention they had uh i had just missed a convention it was like years ago and so i was like okay fine maybe i'll uh, and then I forgot about it, but then somehow mm. I, I realized oh, it's somehow I found that it, it that it showed uh, that it was going to be here, and I was like, I could, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't have to fly anywhere. So I went, and it was <laughs> amazing. There was only like a couple hundred people in there, right? Mm. But it was just like everyone was. At least I was just on this. We're sitting in a room with two hundred people, like, and I, I'm like, is everyone else holding back? Like, cause you know, you're, you're hearing about your, basically like a giant part of your life. So then, um, I went to that one, uh, you met, met a bunch of great people there. Then I went to the one next year in Denver and it was all kind of the same people. We're all still friends and we were hanging out in the lobbies, mm-hmm. just kind of really getting to know each other's stories, which, which was almost, um, to me, more, more kind of more interesting than some of the uh, the lectures, which are great, but it's just like you know you could probably get the, Big the summary uh, afterwards. But <laughs> that's when I realized I was like, this is like kind of the really interesting part. Like by that by that point, since the first convention, I'd gone on the Facebook groups and the and the Reddits, and I'm like, you you see the, the you know the 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 rants that are just very focused on one thing. But at the convention, I'm like, whoa, there are a lot of like shared experiences and like nuances and you know, and and not only that, but like we we feel like there was a surreal thing where we didn't even have to say a lot to each other to like yeah. all, to know each other and just be really close friends because there was this you know really intimate um, mental right. connection that you don't get with even like a classmate or a relative, close you know? friends. And so right, uh, yeah. it's like because we've suffered. It's like we've suffered. Gone, we've gone through that little t trauma, and we we yeah, we sat in the car and like wanted to jump out and and you know, um. Yeah. So yeah, and and it was that it was that one of the um one of the dinners that we had where I, I was sitting you know next to um a good friend of mine Lyle who was uh, the interview I think number four or five of, of the show, but his story is mm-hmm. incredible, and he I would I would say that his story in particular was the inspiration for the podcast um i i'd recommend everyone mm. listen to that one in particular he's in his 60s and so he was he had misophonia obviously since um you know the, the 60s um and just you know suffered a lot and to this day his 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 family kind of like he's really kind of excluded from the family and uh oh and, and and felt like that way from a very young age uh you know like like many people just kind of like dismissed and ridiculed um and it it um you know it 
it had an effect on kind of his health and and his you know his jobs and, and whatnot. So um, luckily, he has a spouse whose family is super supportive. But uh, you know, it was it was Yay. a rough time. So I was like, okay, we need to get these stories out because we people are right. all they're hearing about is like when they hear when they hear about misophonia whether they have it or or not it's just like you just it just seems like uh i'm i'm this thing and i'm really annoyed with sounds but there is a lot of other things there is uh the misophonia itself and the whole history and the different triggers and the shared experiences which is fascinating in itself the shared experiences sitting at the dinner table or in the car then there is the um because of those experiences the second order effects of the effects on our relationships with the world and the people around us, which is fascinating in itself, I believe. Um, then there's the third order effects, which which I think are things like, uh, you know, we're in a world that's supposedly um, uh, met, uh, woke and aware of, of, of mental health right. and, and accepting <laughs> of mental health issues. But, you know, right. as your podcast, I'm sure, shows, there's still stigmas. And it's interesting that um, people who... Uh, I don't know. I feel like misophonia. Mis- I feel like I call it kind of the ugly duckling of the mis- of the mental health world, where it's still not taken seriously. Really, I mean, there yeah. is kind of research, but it's just like um, I feel like. So I don't know when misophonia, if and when misophonia will, you know, hit the level of some of these other um, uh, conditions. But you know that 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 in its that in itself is is kind of interesting as well. Um, so you know, all these things just made me feel like. I, w- I wanted to get these stories out there, and I was I was looking back. I think I mentioned this early early in the podcast. Like on, on my show, I, I realized I have never, I don't like in the intro. I don't. I never actually define what it is <laughs> because I, yeah. it's almost like for me the, the the podcast started as just a way for our community to hear our own stories, and it's not even um, necessarily um. an advocacy thing. Now, um, you know, it would be great if yeah, other people who don't have misophonia. Um, you know, obviously learn something about it and learn how to, um, you know, be more cognizant of it and take care of it. But there's a lot of learning that we need to do in our community and um, valid uh, self-validation that needs to happen. A lot of people just feel really right. crappy about themselves, uh, don't understand it, uh, have lived decades thinking that they're crazy. And so for me, the first, my first uh, goal of the podcast is uh, just self-validation once you've, you know, once you realize that you're not alone. Well, long story of saying of kind of well, how the uh, how, how the podcast started and how it's evolved in my head as its goals. Thank you for sharing that with us. To be honest, it made me very emotional. I'm not going to lie. Um, you being so open and vulnerable about it, because I can really relate to every single word that you were saying. It's um, and I think it's great that this was actually not something to create awareness for others, but it's more of the world of people who feel like they can be heard accepted, understood by one another. And when you were saying in the convention how you guys all had this kind of connection, it's kind of like the unspoken connection, right? You don't have to explain or there's this level of um, connectivity and relatability. Yeah, it was surreal. It was like, I've never, you know, I'm not a super religious person, never, you know, but it's almost like, are we, is this, this feels almost like a cult, but in a, in a good, in a positive way, it's real. <laughs> it's it's like, but it's, there's a surreal connection uh, that was happening just in, in the room. You know, I was looking around, I was like, wow, everyone's kind of like, yeah, yeah, anyways, yeah. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I think, and I really think that's why your podcast is so cool is just because how people get to share their own stories yep. and it doesn't have to be scientific or, you know, it, it doesn't need all that because it doesn't need that validation. I feel like just 
the experience of what people go through is powerful enough for even others who I think don't have misophonia yeah. can listen to and relate to. And honestly, every single episode is super interesting. Like you feel like it will be the same thing, but every single time I'm kind of worried about new. that, but no, right? but it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. uh, but there's always, well, I, it's I think cool. it's, it's sometimes it's fascinating how hundred episodes could have sometimes the same story. That's fascinating. I think it's kind of fascinating yes. itself, but then there's some, yeah, there's some, there's some things that happen Dif- that are so, you know, different, but, There's one Italian lady I was listening mm-hmm. to. Her, I don't think her name was Tanya, was it? Uh, I forgot. I think she was from Sicily. Anyway, I thought she was so cool. She does kund- she does Kundalini yoga as yes, well. Soledad. Yeah, um, Sol. yeah. Soledad. Yeah, Soledad. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. She's Tanya the was the line. other one I was Tanya listening to. Tanya was the recent to. one. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Wow, I got – clearly I mixed everything up. But anyway, her story was so cool too. And yeah, it's just everyone is different, although we're very similar. So mm-hmm. – like you're saying, there's so much similarity, but there's also so much richness and differences in the way people experience things and the way it kind of brought them to to where they are today. The other thing I want to mention is like, uh, well, there's the people who come on the podcast, but uh, uh, there's, there's one there's one uh, episode with I think Jane that I that I think about a lot because uh, it just seems mm-hmm. so cine- cine- um, cinematic, uh, and it's it's related to somebody who. It was never on the podcast, uh, but somebody that Jane ran into in the early nineties, she was, she was telling me she lives in Europe. Um, she mm-hmm. was, you know, you, you can think of those, the, the, yeah, those, you know, romantic movies of like trains going over Europe and you're sitting in the booth with strangers and whatnot. So she sat in a booth <laughs> with a stranger, um, a man who was super quiet and, uh, she was in her early twenties at the time. And, uh, and she was being very quiet with her, like a wrapper of some food. And so was he. And somehow, I don't know, oh. we don't know how the conversation started, but it started where she shared, she didn't know what Miss Funny was at the time, obviously, right? Because there was no name, but they, right. they, that they shared, um, she, they, she shared her sensitivity and she said like at, at he, his, he, he just opened up like a, like a flood oh my about gosh. how he, 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 he can't like, can't handle his family. He doesn't know what he's going to do. And he seemed very, you know, oh. distraught and, but. You know, they got, they reached their destination, they went their separate ways. But we, you know, it's interesting to think about what, what, you know, what happened to him then, what would have happened to him now that there's more awareness, you know? Um, So these, these other stories too, that I think are fascinating that, you know, that we're relating because we run into maybe people that we think may have had it and we just, it's just fascinating. Do you, do you think they? Do you know if they ever met again? I'm so curious no, to yeah. know what happened. <laughs> I don't think so. No, no, no. I'd have to listen back to the episode, but I, I'm pretty sure I don't. I, I'm, I'm sure I asked if uh, she met, but uh, wow. Um. So yeah, I I do want to ask a little bit, if you don't mind, about you personally, because mm-hmm. I feel it's so beautiful that we get to hear other people's stories. But I'm not sure. I haven't heard on your podcast yet, but I feel we've never really heard your story. So um, do want to not dig in, <laughs> yeah. you know, but just do, I'm curious to know, like, for example, how did your friends and family react to it? Like, is this something that you talk to them about or not really? Do they still, do they now know that this is something that's big in your life now that you've kind of started this, I would even say movement in a way, or, or it's just, something you know complete personal to you yeah i know it's it's uh well my parents uh my dad passed away before i even knew what it was i think or had just found out uh he you know he's kind of my well kind of my main trigger my uh my mom you know no my mom still does we don't yeah i don't i don't talk about it with with my 
growing up family um my you know my wife knows about it now i think she's the one who found the initial podcast uh not the initial podcast but the initial article back in like i don't know i guess 15 years really? ago kind of had a laugh about it um so yeah i mean we'll you know obviously it comes up in the family and her with her in-laws as well with her family as well like you know it's no mm-hmm. i still don't really talk about it it's not like i want to talk about it like every day yeah. uh, with a lot of us it's like we don't want to really shine a spotlight on it but we just right, kind of right. want to we're just trying to we're we're all just trying to find a balance i mean i am i i don't even you know, i talk to so many people and i get a lot of advice i have a lot of therapist friends but we're we're it's still kind of um I don't know. We're all starting to figure out what is the best way to deal with it, deal with it in in, in the world or communicate it. Uh, I don't know. Um, so yeah, with and yeah. with my daughters who are ten and two, Aww. we don't. I don't really shine a spotlight on it. And this is kind of something that came out of the convention. I was talking to other parents who are like, "Well, you know, because there's a lot of people who come on and they're like, uh, you know, my kids have it now, or um, oh, wow. so is it is it hereditary? Is it genetic? Or or is it more? Is it like?" Uh, where, what like I might observational? think, yeah, where it's a little bit, I think maybe a little bit more of a combination. Um, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm I'm not going to define the word epigenetics, but like it's more maybe you're right, like yeah. predisposed a little bit, and then the observational nurturing, uh, that nurturing uh, part. Um, like right. like if I was going to, I try not to like react uh, outwardly when they're around because I don't want that small t trauma to propagate right, to the next generation mm-hmm. which is kind of how at least that's maybe my leading theory is because i'm a you know i'm i'm very um i, I kind of relate to i feel like i relate to this kind of trauma aspect of it the, the small t trauma mm-hmm. aspect of it uh so i try not to make a trying to spotlight i just not like i'm going to be like i definitely don't go like oh that's sad you know I, you know when when the kids are <laughs> around or you know i try to kind of like bottle it up which we're all really good at because that's all we've been doing right for the entire our entire lifetimes before we knew what it was we just bottled it up because we would have you know yeah. thought we were kind of crazy or we were shut down all the time from our you know from our triggers um yeah so growing up i was yeah obviously i didn't know what it was until like years after i had even left home but yeah when i was uh-huh. growing up it was Got very it. much i was i didn't like the sounds but i just assumed it was like i assumed it was um you know, because I was, you know, there were, um, so there was like, you know, the typical like gener- intergenerational issues and, right, um, right. you know, not wanting to be kind of like, you know, follow everything your parents are, uh, you know, are, are telling you to do. Absolutely. I assumed it was related to that. So it was just kind of like a, somehow a trans, like just being annoyed at, at anything that they did. Now I'm realizing that it's more obviously more complicated than, than that. And maybe somehow that mm-hmm. had manifested itself into, um, um well actually i want to back up maybe i think i thought initially even when i started the podcast was that somehow manifested itself into um misophonia then i thought maybe it's purely you know a a brain like mis like a your brain is my brain is like always neurological always neurological but now i'm thinking that maybe it's also related to you know like little like anger issues and you know i i do remember um you know, some of my most memorable memories of growing up was like if if something was misplaced in the house and my dad really needed to know where it was, we basically had to stop That's everything so we were doing. And we, it was kind of a, a state of fear. It was kind of a Jekyll and Hyde. We were kind of in a state of fear for the next uh, however long it took. And there was never really any... So was the fear yours uh, or your parents' fear? Mine. 
Mine. It was your fear. Yeah, yeah. May I ask you, I apologize for, for cutting your train of thought, but I feel like this is very important. Would you ever freak out if anyone touched your things? Um, so I, no, no, or like not, if some things were not in order. Yeah. Okay. It's not quite, it, I don't, I don't think I have like an, it's not like a, um, I don't, I don't have like an OCD kind of thing about it. Like if somebody touched mm-hmm. my things, um, yeah, it, but if something was out of place and I couldn't find it, even, even to this day, like if I can't find something, I get really, it's hard mm-hmm. to like put it out of my mind for a little while. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's wow. not like, yeah. but it's not like the misplenia mis- rage kind of thing. That's a whole other level. But yeah, there, there, I think there is a, a little bit, there's definitely a little bit of, um, um, although I, I miss, I, I misplay stuff all the time, but I, 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 mm-hmm. you know, maybe I, but honestly, I think I get a little frustrated with myself and maybe that's also part of a learned behavior. But I think, um, I don't know, after I've been reading and talking to folks a lot about kind of this whole mm-hmm. uh, trauma response growing up, I didn't have, obviously didn't have like a, any kind of alcoholic, you know, parent or, or any mm-hmm. of that stuff in, in my, but I'm trying to think like, when was I, um, you know, were there ever any situations where I was like really in a state of, like that whole walking on eggshells kind of thing um fear or like neglect like any of those yeah negative that was that emotions which is scary yeah yeah yeah. yeah as a child right exactly and so i think yeah that i mean that was a big part of like the pre misophonia years for me so interesting wow i feel like i feel like you're right in saying it's like a combination of environmental like as in what we see yeah do you ever feel like your your parents like one of your parents or grandparents or someone had something similar because actually after listening to your podcast i realized that my mom has that as well not as i wouldn't say as severe as mine or maybe she's good at hiding it i don't know but um but yeah so so just curious on, the, on that i don't point. know of any i i yeah i've heard people come on yeah. and say that yeah that they think they're their parents or um you know cousin or mm. whatever uh had it but for me i I can't think of any um yeah i i can't i can't think of anybody in my family yeah no that's that's but i don't know a lot of Um, my i I never met any of my grandparents uh, my grand uh fathers mm. uh my grandmothers i'd only kind of really met one uh i'm not sure if she had it because it was i don't know yeah it was hard hard to tell but um but yeah, it could be possible that maybe one of my, I should be probably asked that maybe one of my grandfathers also had, I don't know. But like you said, back then it wasn't even something oh, that is, God, yeah. you know, like I'm sure they, they would look at us and be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah so yeah. yeah, no, that's fair. God bless them though. Um, so sweet. I, I do wonder, um, you, you know, you've spoken to so many amazing people, uh, so many interesting people. Have you found kind of like a common theme among people. Do you think there is, apart from rage <laughs> in misophonia, I would say we, we all have that, but is there anything that you would, like, have you noticed a certain pattern? I always wondered that. I was always like, is there, does, was there ever like a time? I mean, it doesn't have to be a yes. It, it's just something I was curious to know. Yeah, I mean, some of the non-misophonia traits are um, that, and this is even um people like dr marcia johnson who's an audiologist who's who's one of the first people who recognized it and has talked to thousands of people mm-hmm. um uh, and i've noticed this as well it, it seems like this people i mean to be blunt they tend to be quite a bit smarter than the average person um 
And so the other thing is, but maybe, you know, maybe a little bit less tooting our own, our own horn, but uh, um, the, the term HSP, like a highly sensitive person has come up, come up a lot. Mm-hmm. And whether somebody has recognized that by taking some, there's like a questionnaire or whatever, or, or not, it just seems mm-hmm. like um, people misophonia tend to be, I, I feel like tend to be a little bit more in, in tune to other people's emotions in the room kind of thing. So I don't know if that's mm-hmm. somehow related or it's like a, uh, side effect, but uh, uh, I feel like there's a little bit more empathy with Miss Funny. Maybe that's just because we've grown up. We, I mean, we've grown up yeah. being extra sensitive, and maybe, but maybe it's the case with uh, other sense as hypersensitivities. I'm, I'm not sure, but those are some some patterns. Yeah, other than the rage, and other than the um, all, all the similar experiences of like right. the eating with the parents, and then the you know being in cars and and uh, um, being dismissed being a cars. lot. Uh, well, being stuck in cars and having so many chewing gum and, um, uh, and wanting to just wanting to get out um, or plug in their ears or uh, some cases chewing up the upholstery, which you'll hear about in another, in a future episode in a few weeks. Um, so yeah, a lot of, uh, a lot of similar ish experiences. Um, yeah. They're pretty common as well. That's so cool. Like, the whole empathetic nature of mm-hmm. people with misophonia, like you said, is it a correlation or is it more of like yeah. um, a reaction to it or or something? Of course, this doesn't mean that you know people who have misophonia are the only ones that are sent you know empathetic. There, um, so many empathetic people out there, but yeah, I, I that, that's that's very cool. It's a very cool observation. Um, I'm curious if you've ever gone to therapy for misophonia i actually don't i i generally don't know is there actually a misophonia you know therapy for misophonia is this something that's there are therapists who specialize in misophonia Uh, i have not gone to Mm. one uh, because i've only uh Mm -hmm. i I mean honestly i've only really kind of really taken it seriously in the last few years uh, in terms of like looking for these kinds of things uh uh so i haven't i haven't gone to one in a professional environment but i i have Honestly, I have several who are friends of mine who now we even we kind of like we'll have Zoom meetings and, and coffee sometimes about misophonia. So I can't go to them now because now we're kind of like talking and kind of uh, kind of friends friends level. Yeah. But um, so I uh, I don't know maybe in a way I'm getting kind of free therapy in that way because I'm kind of getting their their um right. you know their their tips. Well, not I don't want to say their tips. It's not therapy what I'm doing with you know, but um, it's kind of like I'm kind of hearing about what how therapists are talking about misophonia and how they're they're treating their um uh, their patients. It seems it seems to be a lot of uh well obviously a lot of talk therapy C- CBT mm-hmm. uh, with a right. kind of a trauma informed um approach. Um, approach in, right in, in a lot of in a lot of cases um so so yeah but i have i have personally have not um and uh but yeah maybe it's something that that i'll pre- i'm just kind of absorbing all this information and i kind of want to i want to learn which which approach um i kind of want to take I, mm-hmm. I, I do like the uh i, I think probably like a, a, a cb a trauma-informed cbt approach is probably right. one that uh uh you know if i was going to pursue one and that that would be the I think I think it's interesting because for me sometimes I think about it like what what is it that you can do to like what is it 
in therapy that could help you come to like you know i don't think misophonia is something we can ever get rid of right it's uh, there's no not at this I mean, point I yeah that word but there's it's not a there's no cure for no. misophonia right we can only use certain techniques that can help us i know all of us have probably have like earplugs <laughs> it's like a, yeah. a thing that misophones do, do you have ear, you know i actually don't have earplugs but i do have like noise canceling headphones i guess that's kind of the same thing right yeah yeah it's just yeah in an, an audio device uh yeah i have i have these these are these are the, the sony's kind of versions of bose mm-hmm. uh, i have airpod pros too which if i'm going into a little bit more i don't necessarily if i don't want to have wear this over my head then i'll wear the the airpod pros because they have noise canceling as well although it's not over the ear so there's a limit to yeah. how much you can kind of block. Um, yeah. So yeah, I have those as kind of my fir- kind of my first line of defense. And then, uh, um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think it, like some kind of talk therapy is, is absolutely, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there are therapists who work on obviously get, try to get to the, the, maybe the, the trauma route. There are ones who are, are it, who are yeah. trying to, uh, m- more focus on, um, uh, kind of changing your, you're thinking when you're going through a trigger, um, your mm-hmm. kind of your mindset. Um, that's the CBT kind of, yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and then there, yeah. But I mean, uh, apart from that, there, there isn't, there, there's some people who, uh, might take some medication, but usually that's not, uh, I haven't found that to be, um, effective for, for most people. Um, mm-hmm. if anything, it tends to, dull people's emotions to a point where they don't want to, yeah. they, you know, it's almost not worth it. It's great to hear your input. And it kind of gives me hope in a way, because I always think that, you know, this is something that you're just, you're just going to have to deal with. But when, when I'm listening to you talk, it actually makes me realize now, nah, hang on a minute. Maybe there are certain things that you can rediscover perhaps about your childhood that can help you. And then on top of that ways like different, changing your thought processes Mm -hmm. through it, which can actually like maybe lower down that trigger response, right? Mm -hmm. Because there, there are techniques I'm sure, which hopefully I'll get to you um, in a, in a little bit about, but one thing I really liked um, is what you you said in the beginning that your wife is very supportive, um, was very supportive of you. Do, Do you feel like that support system was a very important part of your life and just generally of how you deal with misophonia? Yeah, if you can if you can bring up misophonia in any kind of like, well, not I won't say any kind of, but in some kind of maybe a, a humorous way. Humor is a big um, uh, tool that can be used to kind mm-hmm. of reduce the stress level in a situation that's super helpful and it just just knowing that the other person is even kind of ready to try to help is a big is a big deal now what what happens is though is even if somebody knows what it is if they don't if they don't have it they're not they're not thinking about it right they're not they're not mm-hmm. um it's not top of mind so you'll still get into a situation where you'll get triggered and then it's it's it, it, things accelerate very quickly, as you know, right? So it's just like you get triggered, <laughs> um, people take it personally, and then it kind of just—it's it just like a very—it's—it's a, it's a very interesting. Well, that we, it's interesting now that we're, we're not being triggered, but it's interesting. <laughs> the uh, the spiral right. down is is very quick. Um, so like, yeah, it's you gotta. It's ideally if you can find a way to have it like known and reminded maybe it's um certain routines that you have uh around or, or whether it's mm-hmm. meals or whatnot or 
even you, you're telling yourself just we're entering a meal environment because sometimes you could be at a restaurant or whatever and you can't tell people Mm -hmm. to like, you know, just telling your brain that telling your brain that, hey, or your trauma response, if you you know, if you if if that's indeed what what's causing it, if if you can tell your nervous system that, hey, um, chill out, it's not going to be pretty for the next half hour, but you'll be able to go for a walk right after just if I, th- I feel like if that now i know i almost never remember to do this but i'm hoping yeah, i was some, gonna say have you yeah, tried it i, I, I have and, some, and sometimes it doesn't work but it's it doesn't always work uh, well sorry you don't yeah. always remember right and but i, I think that's part, it's part of it uh and, and you know even if you tell um you know family members they it's still tough for if you don't have it, it's still tough for them to understand and always remember and not take things personally yeah. so yeah, you need to find it. Well, like I said, I try not to shine a spotlight. It's trying to try to shine a spotlight on it at home, especially with the kids, because mm-hmm. it's like I don't want to cause any like undo. Absolutely. I don't. I feel like it's 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 like I'm. It's like passing. I don't want to be passing it on because I feel like I'm passing on trauma at that point. Um, so if you can, yeah, I mean, well, we can get into kind of the, some of the um, non-therapeutic techniques, like just just getting sleep lowering stress yeah these are things that will give you the best chance to not be triggered a or come back to equilibrium as quickly as possible mm-hmm. uh, tr- try to tell your nervous system that hey in advance hey if you, if you know you're going to be in an environment like hey okay i love maybe that don't look at maybe don't look in this direction um or just expect it almost mm-hmm. or just tell yourself it's going to happen but it's time boxed like it's going to be over in about half an hour and give yourself an escape route if you really need to like hey um have an excuse to just kind of take a break and then come back um maybe think about honestly all the other all the interviews that you hear about on my podcast because that whole kind of collective uh story like that's sometimes what i do is when i'm in a trigger um i think about you know this person that person they've I was talking about them about the same experience and we had a laugh about it and I'm not the only one (laughs) that helps a lot. Um, so these are, that's so great. Yeah. And so it's partly what I, what I want the podcast to do is give people something to think about when they're going through an experience, because that can maybe, I think help the nerve, your nervous system realize that, okay i'm not i'm not under threat and there are other people mm-hmm. like yeah like you said having a support system is um and or even knowing you have one that you can go to even if you don't use it is uh yeah. i feel good for the the soul and the nervous that nervous system that's that's that needs to that's trying to it's it's almost beautifully trying to protect you when you don't need it yeah so yeah no i agree no th- th- those are some really interesting tips and points. And a lot of it is something that I don't use and I'm going to start using because I think that it's really cool. And I think it's so important that you mention, and I just want to emphasize on this, that how difficult it is to, um, to highlight the fact that it is not personal, that when, when you're triggered, it's really, really not personal to, to the specific person. And, at least when it's friends I think, and family, I think we should have explain. a. Sorry, yeah. I don't mean to cut in, but this could be an. You <laughs> no, know how no, the, you know how they, they have those posters like, um, keep calm and carry on. Maybe there should be a poster about like, not for us, <laughs> yeah. but like for everyone else. Like it's not personal. Carry on. Um, oh my god, that's so funny. Anyways, continue. No, that that 
No, that's exactly what it is. And it's so true because um, I was saying, especially with friends and family, it's sometimes easier to explain to them that, you know, this is not personal. But I'm one of those people that sometimes freak out at strangers. I know it's super embarrassing to admit it, but... Oh, my God. I, you, really? That's no, kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We've all and been it, there. It goes We've so... All, yeah, oh, my God. Yeah, thank God. Yeah, thank God yeah. you're validating me because... The shame and guilt and, you know, well, the embarrassment that comes shame afterwards. Shame and guilt, that's a whole other, yeah, that's, we could talk about that for hours as well, but yeah. yeah. Oh my God. And I always, and I always tell them like, I'm so sorry. It's nothing personal because immediately after you like let it out, that's when like your nervous system calms down. At least for me, like the minute I let that rage out, I immediately calm down a little bit. And then you're like, it's like your brain goes back to normal and you're like, oh wait, no shit. I didn't, I didn't mean to. Um, so yeah, I just, you know, if anyone who's, who's had someone freak out at them on the road or on the train or in a cafe before, just please know it's, it's not personal. Do you start with the glare and then, or, or do you just go into the verbal assault right away? <laughs> Oh my gosh, I do start with tusks. When you like, stop beating them up, you know, you like, the, oh yeah, yeah, the tusk, tusk, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, the tusk, like you're yeah. just like, ugh, like yeah. you roll your eyes and yeah. they have no idea like why you're rolling your yeah. eyes at them. Yeah, or you're mouthing yeah, certain oh words gosh. and they're very obvious, you know, <laughs> to most people. <laughs> yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I think we all, yeah. No. But that's the crazy thing is we just sound like we're crabby. Right. I mean, we just look like we're crabby, which is kind of what makes it more <laughs> difficult to kind of to kind of um, get it taken seriously. Yeah. So they don't real they don't no, know yeah. that the underlying uh, they don't real. It's interesting that the, what they see is that they see it as a an immediate thing, but the story like someone who's rude, you know. Yeah. That's how it. Comes well, that's out. yeah, yeah. That's the thing. Like it, it's like it's it's almost they think that we're um, just very extra OCD about manners or something like that. But yeah, in, yeah. in the moment, but they don't realize that that's it's a response to something that may have happened thirty years ago. So yeah. you know, no, that that's that's absolutely true, and we're laughing about it because I think this is one of our ways of dealing with mm -hmm. it. I mean, as you can clearly see, like I'm laughing hysterically, <laughs> but um, it, I think it's because, like you said, it is a little like we we don't want to be like that. Like I I don't want to like be triggered by it. you. Don't want like all those people on your podcast. They don't want to, you know, but. Um, there, there's just something that does. And I'm curious to know, actually, for you, um, Adil, if there are certain sounds, for example, that supposedly should be, I wouldn't say triggering, but like, you know, very noisy. Like, for example, I'm a huge techno music fan and I love loud music, which maybe someone would say like, oh, someone who's sound sensitive or someone has misophonia that wouldn't be the case. Would you say that you have certain sounds that you're like completely okay with, but then you might think that for someone who has misophonia, it's actually like, it should be something that people who are sound sensitive or do you kind of understand what I'm asking? I'm just curious. I think because so. Yeah, no, I think I know what you're asking, uh, <laughs> but I, I listen to a lot of uh, very experimental music, like music concrete and okay. just like junk cage and just like stuff like just sound, yeah, like, like weird noises. Sound. Yeah. A lot of weird yeah, found yeah, sound. Right. Right. And, um, uh, I mean, I, well, I, I think I might have a problem. So I, yeah, I listen to a lot of that and almost all of it doesn't really trigger me because to me, it's just right. interesting music. Um, you know, John Cage is four minutes and 33 seconds where it's just uh, a pianist sitting at the table, uh, sitting at the piano, not doing anything. So those recordings will might have someone in the audience coughing and that could be a problem. But uh, like experimental music concrete, like, um, like field recordings, 
they tend to not really mm-hmm. really bother me which you know um i'm sure some things will but uh uh, but I, I know that a lot of those sounds would you know, drive a lot of people crazy because, um, you know, mm-hmm. some of John Cage's um, recordings are like him, I think, walking on ice and it just a lot of, you know, wow. a lot of bizarre things. Um, like but in eccentric. terms of more normal sounds that, um, yeah, I don't know um, if there's mm-hmm. anything that would normally trigger somebody else that doesn't trigger me i guess i mean i know like crunching certain things again again i'm going to say like you know carrots or chips i think generally they like the crunching sound doesn't affect me maybe as much as other people um the um the ensuing chewing of that uh necessarily you know i might i don't necessarily care for right (laughs) so do certain voices trigger you like tones of voices like very high pitched or very yeah, low pitched if, or if something gets uh yeah i mean i guess i guess if something gets high pitched to the point where it's kind of hard to understand what is <laughs> being said if if yeah that can that can kind of like i i you know i again that i don't know if it's i, I don't know if it's necessarily misophonia but yeah it's just like i need that kind of yeah. would definitely prefer that to stop um but uh, you know, as, if when somebody's talking, we can—I don't know about you—but I can tell if there is something jiggling in, or something in the throat. That's some food or <laughs> drink that hasn't completely gone down. Um, I think mm. I think that for me, that's a, a, you know a major sensitivity for me, and I know that that um, has been the case for like decades for me. So wow. Adil, um, as a final question, as I can see, we're coming close to the end of time. Well, it'll be two questions, I think. Mm-hmm. The first one I want to ask is, what is that? What is the one thing so far? It, it doesn't have to be misophonia related directly, but what is one thing you feel like your podcast has taught you? Because again, I just think it's such a beautiful platform that you've created um, for people with misophonia. Again, the teaching does not have to be related. And the second thing is, from all the stories that you've heard, um, you gave us some really great tips earlier um, for how to kind of deal with it and prepare yourself. But for people listening here, maybe one or two more tips that you think universally have really helped people um, deal with with their misophonia. And it could be something as simple as like literally noise canceling headphones or or whatever you think. Yeah, Um yeah, it's interesting. One came to mind that I hadn't hadn't mentioned was like there was somebody I talked to where she she had a a, 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 po- a big post it on her fridge which which she called her misophonia action plan, and I think it's just like a a daily reminder of things that she can do, so things that are in her control, as some tools like whether it's I mean, as simple as pulling out the earbuds, but you know we have all these tools, but we 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 might not in the moment remember them all, but if you can. Yeah. If you can bring them down to a list that maybe we should, I don't know, maybe I should publish, but um, that's just knowing that you have tools, whether it is physical or the ability to leave a situation in a you know a certain direction or another room you can go to, uh, being knowing that you have those tools, I think makes a big difference. But you have to remind yourself because we, I, I find that I don't remember and people just don't necessarily remember <laughs> when, when it's time to have the trigger. Like we might get all set up in the True. beginning of the day, but then like, in the afternoon you get triggered and you, you forget about it. So whatever yeah. you can do to kind of help remind yourself that a, you're not alone. You have tools to get back to equilibrium. Um, that can, mm. it's not going to erase the misophonia, but it could help a lot. 
And um, wow. I think your first question was about like, what is it? What has it taught me? I mean, yeah, I, I initially, let's, let's talk, let's think about like, I initially started it just to kind of like share some stories. I did not realize how similar a lot of the stories were going to be. I didn't yeah. realize how intense some of the stories were going to be like, or, or cinematic, like that that the guy on the train. There's somebody named uh, Nick, in terms wow. like who, who I think to this day he um, he'll go to the he'll be at a supermarket or a public place and he will black out on the floor Whoa. from oh, sensory overload, um, and he get Whoa. needs to get you know called and, and uh, somebody needs to get called and he needs to get picked up and whatnot. But this is a um, a family man with a with a computer job. Uh, so you don't know who around yeah, you wow. is going through intense situations with this thing that people don't take seriously still. So um, all these things is kind of, yeah, the, the kind of similarities, the intense, um, uh, you know, the nature of, of some people's misophonia. Um, and yeah. And, but in terms of, honestly, in terms of like, oh, well, maybe some of the therapies mm-hmm. that's definitely been enlightening, like, um, uh, the, the research that has come out of uh, Kumar's group. Um, it's not specific mm-hmm. to my podcast, but just talking to them uh, about it has been, has been right. really interesting. Um, talking to some therapists about uh, things like the, the, uh, the nervous system um, right. and, uh, and potential uh, trauma responses have been super interesting. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't know. It's, yeah. It's, you learn a lot, which is, which is great, right? You yeah. kind of broaden your horizons. But another, another one, one last thing is just, it's just amazing to have people come on and kind of the, one of the first things they say is that this is the, like you said earlier, this is the first time I've talked about yeah. it with anybody out loud, which is kind of humbling and it yeah. but just speaks to like how difficult it is to talk about. And so whatever I can do to normalize it and validate it, it's, it's more important to me than, public exposure in like a newspaper or, or, or whatever. Uh, there are other organizations like so quiet.org that are doing that. But for yep. me, it's about um, personal validation. And, and I thank you for that really deeply. Adil, this has been truly, truly wonderful. I thank you so, so much for your time. And I really had such a great and fun and insightful discussion with you. Yeah, likewise. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. Once again, I highly recommend for you to check out the Misophonia podcast. I will link the uh, podcast in the description here below. And thank you guys for tuning in and listening as always. And we'll catch you in the next episode.